0: Probably doesn't feel good to feel like you're in exile, but uh, Peter, the Apostle Peter, writes two letters in the New Testament, and we're in week two of our nine-week study from the first of those letters, First Peter, in which he talks to followers of Jesus uh, as being exiles. Here's how you live like an exile. So hold with me. We're going to be looking at the second half of 1 Peter today, and we're going to be talking about the subject of holiness, actually, holiness. And I've entitled, um, because if you wanna ever start feeling like an exile, just let Jesus really begin working in your life, and your lifestyle's gonna change. It's gonna become different than your lifestyle before you met Jesus. It's gonna be less like the world's way, and more like, less like your way, and more like God's way. You're gonna have a heart to wanna follow him and please him. And there is such a thing as sin, there is such a thing as evil, and the way of holiness will move you more to God's way. Because holy really means to be set apart. It just literally means being set apart to God. And so you become, you take on more of his character and his nature. Now the title today of the message I've chosen is The Happiness of Holiness. The Happiness of Holiness. Sounds a little corny, I admit but let me give you the back story. Sandy and I were in London about 10 years ago. And our hotel was near a place called Hyde Park in London. Here's a picture of Hyde Park. And one corner, and there's a, a corner of Hyde Park that I've had for years been wanting to visit. It's called Speaker's Corner. At Speaker's Corner, especially on the weekends, people would bring out boxes, sometimes old soap boxes. You ever heard the expression, wow, she really got on her soap box, or, 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 or he, he really was on his soapbox today in staff meeting. Well, it comes from this. You'd get up on a, like a soapbox or a box of some kind. They would elevate you a little bit. You'd stand out in a corner like that and you'd just start talking about what you were passionate about. Sometimes people would gather around you. Other times people would just totally ignore you. But you'd get on your soapbox and you'd let them have it. Well. The day Sandy and I were there, I was finally seeing this for the first time. It was so interesting. And here, one of the guys was a preacher of some sort. I'm not sure what what organization he was affiliated with, but he was preaching. And he was talking about, I'd never heard this phrase before, but he was talking about the happiness of holiness. In fact, I'll never forget him. He points out and he says, you know, when I woke up this morning, I did not have a hangover. That means I'm probably happier than most of you this morning. (laughs) And... He just started going down the list, and you—you—you can imagine the things you could put on on that list. You know, I'm—I'm I'm not in legal problems because I'm not stealing from people, and and, and I'm not abusing people because I'm trying to live holy, and that's in the end leaving me happier. Now, most sin, most unholiness has a short-term fun element. It's pretty stimulating. It's pretty fun. It is, but it—it it leaves you sort of spiritually hungover and with a complicated life afterwards you, you could say you know what I, I, i'm experiencing the happiness of holiness because i'm not fighting addiction right now because a lifestyle of holiness has kept me away from gateway drugs like marijuana and, and meth and heroin and and all the things beyond that i, I i'm I, i'm happy that my family is not experiencing a lot of strife right now because because I have stayed faithful to my spouse and I, because I'm trying to live holy and I'm not, I'm not overwhelmed with guilt and, and our house isn't racked with just that kind of pain that comes when there's unfaithfulness. And you know what? I'm, I, I'm, I'm trying to live holy and live purely sexually. And so, you know, I'm happy I don't have sexually transmitted diseases and I'm happy my, my relationships aren't like way complicated because I'm trying to live a holy life. Sometimes with the holiness, because I grew up around this, sometimes it reduces to just rules, a lot of don'ts. We get this idea that God doesn't want us to have fun. And I know even some of my teenage friends who I thought were following the Lord kind of spun out and, 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 and left the Lord because they thought too many don'ts, too many things I can't do because I'm supposed to be holy. And and they missed the whole point and they left the Lord. And, but whenever you walk the way of sin, even though it's fun short term, when you go your way, when you go the way of the world in sin, when you pursue unholiness, it doesn't leave you happy. In the long run, it leaves you sort of spiritually hungover. It leaves you empty. It leaves, it leaves a lot of damage because sin damages you deeply. And so I was just fascinated by hearing this preacher talk about The happiness of holiness. And the God who loves you, and sure, fun in a holy way can definitely be a part of our lives. But in the long haul, he wants you healthy and whole and and flourishing in your humanity rather than sin that decimates our humanity. So the happiness of holiness. So I apologize for the title, corny as it is. But I've never forgotten that moment. Here, they don't don't use soapboxes as much anymore. They use like those kind of platforms now. But whatever it is, they would get up and talk about what's on their heart. We want to talk about holiness this morning and the happiness of holiness. And we're going to pick it up where we left off last week. And we're in verse 13 in the middle part of chapter one of 1 Peter. Peter's saying, therefore... And he's going to tip us off on his next subject of holiness here. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace about to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. So he says, therefore, and he says, set your hope on something that's more lasting than what may or may not work out for you this week. But set your hope. On the fact that Jesus is coming, he's going to finish what he started in our world and in your life. That's our hope. And that will make you endure everything, no matter what happens to you. And so this is, so he says, therefore, because that's everything. He's just summarizing everything he's just been talking about in the first half of the chapter. But he clues us into the second half with those words, with minds that are alert and fully sober. And in the scripture, a life of unholiness usually is not associated with soberness and alertness. It's usually sober, it's associated with pain, dullness, um, intoxication, all of these other things. So he's gonna alert us that there is another way of living. You're gonna live as exiles, you're gonna live less like the world does, more like you're set apart to God. And, and the first thing he's gonna deal with is our desires. He's gonna say, he's gonna actually give us four elements of, of, of a a, a life that experiences a happiness a holiness he said first of all you're going to have to if you're going to go holiness direction in your life you're not going to be some kind of prude you're not going to be a judgmental well I'm better than you are that has nothing to do with it it has everything to do with what's going on deep inside of you and your desires so he starts here as obedient children because we're all born into the family of God through spiritual rebirth as we trust what Jesus did for us as obedient children do not conform To the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance don't conform to those desires you're going to have to start filtering your desires saying yes to the good ones that lead you to holiness but no to the bad ones because he goes on to say just as he who called you is holy our god so be holy in all you do for it is written be holy because i am holy so we're on this quest to live for God, to walk in his way. And it's the way of holiness because he's holy. And so we wanna be separate. And he is holy in the sense that he's set apart from evil and from sin. So we go the same direction. And so he says, you're gonna have to conform. He says, you're gonna have to live in a different way than you lived in your ignorance. What's he talking about there? That, that's when you were, before you ever heard about Jesus, before, when you were ignorant of him, or sometimes that phrase in the Bible can just simply mean because you know you just weren't thinking clearly, you know, and, and you make a lot of bad decisions, and, and and you end up hurting the people you love, and you end up hurting yourself, and and so sometimes unholiness is associated with with ignorant living, uh, because in the big picture, it's not what's going to help you. So so he says, don't conform to the evil desires that you had when you lived in ignorance. A week ago this morning, uh, last Sunday morning, one of the, the great spiritual leaders in in the evangelical and especially the Pentecostal world uh, passed away, Pastor Jack Hayford. You probably, maybe, if you've been around this for a while, you've listened to his sermons. I had the privilege of meeting him twice personally. Jack Hayford, he was like, he was like a spiritual grandfather to to much of the charismatic movement around the world. And an amazing guy. I was actually in a session where he spoke a few years ago. And he was starting to age. He was talking a little slower and everything. But he said something so immensely profound. He said, if we're going to walk the way of holiness, we've got to learn to decide against ourselves. That was another expression I'd never heard before you you decide against yourself that there are some desires in you unlike when i became a teenager in the mid 60s and the ethic was if it feels good do it it opened our culture to the sexual revolution and the drug culture and to disrespect and rebellion of all kinds i mean i mean you just follow what what you feel i mean it's gonna lead you down a bad path. Just because you feel it doesn't mean it's truth and doesn't mean it's right, and doesn't mean it's healthy, and doesn't mean in the long term it's gonna leave you happy. And so he says you have to learn at times not to give yourself everything you want. you, to walk the way of holiness, uh, you may wanna open that porn website, but but you you gotta decide against yourself. I mean, you may wanna have that second piece of pie, even though you already have diabetes, but you're going to have to decide against yourself. I mean, you may want to shoot off your mouth and just give somebody a piece of your mind, but for the sake, for the sake of your family or, or your job or other legitimate things, you may just want to decide against yourself, even though you may just, everything inside you just wants to do it. And this is the beauty of the message of Christ. He doesn't just give us, he doesn't give us a list of rules, he gives us a changed heart. The Bible says when Jesus died on the cross, our old nature, our old sinful inclinations were actually nailed to the cross. So that we by faith, Paul will say, the Apostle Paul, we, we start by considering ourselves dead to sin because Jesus was crucified and we work backwards from there. We start with faith. In Jesus, I can have victory over these desires. In Jesus, I can, deny, I can, I can decide against myself for the greater self, for the greater thing. And so th- this is where he starts. We're gonna have to deal with our desires and make sure we're feeding the right desires because what you feed grows inside of you. And so when I was a teenager, grew up in an environment like this, heard a lot of rules about holiness, you know what? I had to completely reframe that around the understanding that it's very important that I feed the right desires and don't feed the wrong desires. And so even though there may not have been a rule against some things, I chose not to go there because I was concerned about feeding the right things so that the right desires, because because my old life is dead in Christ and I'm living by a whole new set of heart inclinations and desires. So he starts there, redirect desire. And then he goes on to, if we're gonna walk the way of holiness and experience the happiness of holiness, we're gonna to need to fear God, fear God. So the next verse, since you call on a father, who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent what? Fear. Now, it's basically politically incorrect anymore in churches like ours to talk about the fear of God because after all, doesn't God love us? And we live in a culture that says, love me but don't judge me. But look what he says. we sometimes forget the fact. Look what he says there at the beginning of that verse. You call on a father, this, this God who's holy, and we want to be set apart to him as he's set apart from sin and unholiness. Since you call on a father who judges these persons' work, that every one of we're created by God, we are loved by God, but we're also accountable to God. And so we live out our lives here at, as exiles. We, we're not necessarily accepted by the world, but we live it out here in reverent fear, reverent fear. He doesn't say in terrorizing fear because God doesn't bring terror to us. But I experienced a little bit of this kind of fear a few days ago. I was driving north up national. It's two lanes each way and I was coming here to the church and uh, I looked in my rearview mirror and there was a police officer right behind me. I mean, he wasn't chasing me. His lights weren't on. He was just driving right behind me. Now normally, to be honest, I fudge on the speed limit a national coming north. In fact, I've done it for so many years, I couldn't even remember what the speed limit was. I just live in denial, I don't even look at those signs. You know, because I've, I've got people to see and places to go, you know? And so, but here's, here's the guy right behind me. And so, I'm, I'm just frantically looking all over, you know, at the signs like, oh, what is the speed limit here? And I better get down. And then we got to a stoplight, and he pulled out from behind me, right beside me, in the lane beside me. I'm going, oh, got to get rid of my phone. And um, <laughs> You know what? I, I usually, I'm a little sloppy when I drive. I just kind of hang my wrist over the steering wheel at the top, and just kind of go like that. And I, no, not now. He's right beside me. So it was 2 o'clock and 10 o'clock, right there, <laughs> 10 o'clock. You know, I mean... I mean, I would, why? Because I love police officers. I have nothing against police officers. We have amazing law enforcement people right here in our congregation. I love them, I respect them. But they do represent some authority in my life and therefore some accountability that could seriously complicate my life. Like an expensive ticket or even getting re- arrested if I drive too recklessly. And so I may really like them if I knew them personally. and. I And I may be convinced that they have my best interests in mind. But I still have this reverent fear of them. (laughs) And the fact is, every one of us are accountable to God. Now, the reason this is becoming increasingly politically incorrect to talk about the fear of God, I mean, to so many people that's offensive, that God would be somebody we'd fear. We forget that we are accountable to him. That's the inconvenient truth. He created us. And we're accountable to Him, and and yet we want to forget that that piece of it, and we have this new emerging spirituality, even in the Christian church, which, which, which simply says, you know, if if I just live an okay life, I basically treat people nicely, then then I'm trusting God to bring me what some people call therapeutic benefits, like He's He's going to give me self esteem and. And he's going to bless me and he's going to give me happiness. And, and prayer is actually a part of that, that's emerging spirituality. Because why do I pray? I pray so that God will help me feel better. But other than that, when I need him to help me feel better, he's a distant God. So sometimes we call this moralistic therapeutic deism. Deism is where God's distant generally. Not involved in our lives. Christian Smith, in his book, Soul Searching, unpacks that kind of spirituality. He said, this is not a religion of repentance from sin. I want to tell you, if you learn holiness, if you start going that way, you're going to find yourself repenting a lot because you're going to realize that you're accountable to God that you failed and and repentance is needed. But this kind of spirituality doesn't require any repentance because this distant God is not demanding because, and why is he not demanding? Because his only job, as far as we're concerned, is to solve problems and make people feel good. And and here's the casualty of it all. There, There is nothing here to evoke wonder and admiration. In fact, you could replace the word fear with reverence or with awe. You hold him in awe to the degree that you tremble ever to be out of his will. And you lose that. And you're going to find yourself really playing carelessly with sin and unholiness. You're going to find yourself, well, why not? If God wants to make me happy, why don't I just do what I feel like doing? But there's a PS in the next verse, just to really clarify the whole matter for us. It's a little complicated, these next two verses, but just follow with me. He said, for you know, speaking to these Christian believers that he's writing to, you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. He's referring to empty religious ritual that used to be a part of our lives and and empty rule keeping and empty all these sorts of things before we met Christ. But he, he, um, he brought us to himself With at the price of the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. So he said, You've been redeemed or you've been bought back, not because God, uh, you know, bought out another gold mine and came up with a little more money to buy us for himself. No. He said, you you were bought at the price of God's own life himself. He died on a cross for you because he so relentlessly loved you that he wanted to give you every chance of dealing with the sin that separated you from him and bringing you back and beginning to transform you into a life where you will actually experience the happiness of holiness. And he bought you by his own blood. So so fearing God has nothing to do with God doesn't love you. It has everything to do with he loves you so relentlessly that he doesn't want you to self-destruct. And he'll hold you accountable if you do. That's the fear of God. And then, after talking about you're going to need to deal with your desires, you're going to have to recover a reverent fear of God who in the end will judge, but you've also got to love people. Got to love people, because holiness, in fact, this is where a whole, I mean, holiness has to do with what we do with our bodies. It has to do with, you know, staying away from sexual sin and staying away from drunkenness and staying away from, from um, you know, gluttony and staying away from all of these things that we do with and to our bodies. That's part of holiness, honoring God because he's purchased us for our, we, our souls, our bodies now belong to him because we've been bought by his blood, his shed blood. But listen, it, it, a lot of it then goes into holiness in our relationship with each other. And so that's why he goes right from there into verse 22. Now that you purified yourselves by obeying the truth so you have sincere love for each other. He says, love One another deeply from the heart. Love one another deeply from the heart. He says if you're going to be live like exiles and move towards the happiness of holiness, you're gonna find, as we all find, when we first meet Jesus, and He forgives us, He makes us new, He declares us pure and holy. And then he tells us to bring everything in our lives into conformity with that so we don't conform to the evil desires, we go his way. One of the amazing things of drawing closer to Jesus is that it changes the way we look at each other. And, and, and he said, don't, don't just tolerate each other. This is more than tolerating each other. Some of us think we love others just because we refuse to beat them up. Well, I'm glad you, I'm glad you resisted that unholy desire. But... But it goes way beyond that. He says, love one another, like, deeply, like, from the heart. This is what holiness is going to be. And, boy, there's a happiness that comes. When you just have a heart that's just not angry at people all the time or resentful, that's an unhappy heart. But when you have a heart that you're seeing people through Jesus' eyes and he just gives you love for people. My wife says, you like everybody she's a little more discerning. I'm low on the gift of discernment. I just like people. So I'm blaming that on God. (laughs) Although discernment is a gift of the Holy Spirit as well. I like to say, you know, I have the spirit of generosity. My wife has the spirit of discernment. And um, you know, that's why we're married because she keeps me in line. But it doesn't hurt just to love people. deeply and there is a happiness to it i experienced that this past week i I was over at sanctuary of praise where we're going tonight and i'm anxious for you to meet pastor appleby carly touchstone in our church introduced me to him he's an african-american pastor here in springfield pastoring sanctuary of praise and and uh, he introduced us this summer he's just the most engaging wonderful man and we we just stood in his church a few days ago and is we're talking, and, you know, I'm Assemblies of God. He's Church of God in Christ. We're not a part of the same denomination. You know, he's black. I'm white. Um, you know, he, he's, he had a very different upbringing than I have. There's not much in similar between us, except that that he just has the Spirit of God in him. You know, and we're just talking, and I feel this glow in my heart, like, I just like this guy, even though we're so different. But we love one another. We're one in Christ. And that's what we're going to celebrate tonight on this Martin Luther King weekend. And he wasn't playing the race card. And I wasn't playing the prejudice thing. I mean, you just look at people differently when you start walking in the holiness of God. That's why he goes in verse one of the next chapter. Um, he goes right here. He said, therefore, in light of that, rid yourselves of all malice and deceit Hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Now, those are relationship sins. You know, malice is wanting harm to come to another person. Deceit is deliberately misleading people in order to manipulate them for your own ends. You know, hypocrisy is being somebody that other people really can't trust in the end. And envy is... Is, is not being able to look at another person w- without feeling jealous that they have something that you don't have. And slander is tearing, shredding people's reputations, tearing them apart with your words. And I want to tell you, if, if, if your life is full of malice and deceit and hypocrisy, envy and slander, I want to tell you, first of all, in Jesus' name, your life can change if you come to him. But I also want to say, you're probably not a happy camper. You're probably pretty angry and bitter if your life is full of slander, hypocrisy, deceit, and jealousy. But the happiness of holiness is when we can love each other deeply. And I know churches are imperfect. I know it's very cynical to be... It's easy to even be cynical about church and about people in church because there is not a perfect person around you. But I just want to say, who do you think you are? I mean, when you're on your high horse, just judging everybody else, who do you think you are? Like, you're Miss Perfect, you're Mr. Perfect yourself. But rather, we come to Jesus, we just look at the world totally differently. When God gives us holy eyes, we, 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 we can't shred somebody with our words behind their back and then walk away without feeling that convicting work of the Holy Spirit like you just did wrong there that is not the pathway of holiness and it doesn't leave you happy it doesn't leave you happy hallelujah amen okay I'm going to ask the worship team if they would come because here's where Peter ironically ends this whole section here's where he ends it and I just simply put in your notes drink deeply just drink deeply your first question is drink what <laughs> Okay, fear not. <laughs> holiness. Okay, we're going to stay in the lane of holiness. Like newborn babies, right after this stuff, malice, deceit, envy, slander, he says, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk. milk. Crave it. And By newborn babies, not saying everyone I'm writing is a brand new young Christian. When you come to Jesus, you're born again. You put your trust in Jesus, what he did on the cross, taking your sins on himself, shedding his blood to be the sacrifice for your sins so that you can be completely forgiven. He pronounces you completely forgiven and righteous. And, uh, and then his resurrection spirit comes into your life. So Jesus said, when you come to me, it's like you're born again. So there's this new birth that happens in our lives. Our natures begin to change from the inside out. We start with His Spirit, with the Spirit of the Holy One in us. We start to see, the, find the power to redirect our wrong desires and, and, and to fear God and, and to actually love people we sort of hated or resented before. I mean, I mean we start living holy. And He's going to say, you need to keep living holy. And the key... The key will be that you keep growing. And just like every newborn baby, just like we're all born into the kingdom of God, just like every newborn baby can live for months on nothing but milk. Milk's kind of, I looked up milk this week, it's kind of the superfood. You know, it's got everything you need for nutrients, all kinds of nutrients like vitamins and minerals, healthy fats, antioxidants. It's got proteins. It's got all the nine essential amino acids you need. Milk has everything you need for bone health and structural health in your body. And you ought to crave it, like my two-year-old grandson, who didn't even want to talk to his Grammy, my wife, last week, because he was just so craving that cup of warm milk he had in his hands. He said, crave spiritual milk. Crave spiritual superfood. The superfood is the word of God and the presence of God. I mean, you you just what remember we said it, what you feed grows in you. At the level of your affections, at the level of your choices, what you feed grows. He said, keep feeding yourself that spiritual milk. That's why we want to just take some a little bit more time than usual just to put our worship time now and we're just gonna sing some songs of prayer and just wait on God and just just, just just, be in God's presence. We just need his presence to kind of come and, and take what he says in his word and make it alive in our hearts. So I'd like to invite you to stand.